Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brandon Archer podcast. This is Brandon Archer, and I appreciate you tuning in, giving time to listen to me and how I discuss the Word of God. I really love this book, the book of Acts, and this is what we've been in pretty much since I've started the podcast, and it's been... Uh, We're coming up on a year, so I think it's what, today's 39, so over half a year. It's been, I think, eight or nine months, and I just so enjoy, you know, talking about the Word, talking about the things of God, but also looking at it from like a practical, just very down-to-earth place, right? Right? doesn't have to you don't have to be you know some brilliant scholar theologian to talk about the things of God right you you can just have a heart that's open and passion passionate you can read the bible and it's important to have people around you that can challenge you and challenge the way you you know dissect or interpret scripture because sometimes you know people go off the rails and go into this weird uh you know interpretation of what a scripture means or what it what it doesn't mean but I believe that I try to keep it pretty simple because I believe the gospel is simple I believe the word of God is simple um, it's very relatable because you're dealing with people and people pretty much throughout the ages since we've existed on the earth really not too far off from one another there's a uh, there's some you know some people who are are anomalies like a I would say Elon Musk who is like very just incredibly gifted and talented right and genius there's people who are are, are just touched in a way where you can just they just stick out um, to me I'd rather be touched by God than you know by society or by I'd rather have the touch of God in my life than the touch of man and that's not to say that Elon Musk or these people don't have you know God created them but if the glory that they bring isn't to him and to Jesus, then I doubt if it's really the touch of God, right? Like it's not God, God's purpose and what he wants to do in people's lives isn't to build, isn't to distract away from his kingdom, isn't to take people away from him or the focus away from him. It's to put people's focus and eyes on him because he wants people to know him. And as we go through the Bible, this is kind of the foundation and the motivation of my heart is I want people to know God, to see God in the Bible, to not only that, but realize that he is relatable and he's a friend, right? He's a, Jesus, uh, what is it? Um, Abraham became a friend of God because of his faith. He was considered a friend. Even Jesus said, I call you, you're, you're not slaves, but I call you friends, or, you know, you're, you're, you're connected in a way that's um, close, that's intimate, where you know one another, that there's this covenant, there's this, I got you, right? And that's the way relationships would be. That's the way we should really, uh, families are, you know, and you, you get, you have this underlying, I got you, you know, you're gonna, you might fail, you might make me mad, you might disappoint me, whatever, or you might, but you know what? There's something underlying there that where you're faithful to the connection, to the, to the relationship. And we should all have relationships like that. And to me, I feel like my relationship with the Holy Spirit is that way. 
because in let me tell you, I, I <laughs> there's been times where I have disappointed God and I have not hit hit the mark. But when I there, there's like this feeling I get from the spirit of God of, hey, hey, bro, you know, <laughs> and not like to familiarize it where he's still God. Right. Like I still I need a fear of the Lord. It's not like a familiarity like, hey, bro, what's up, dude? Oh, like, you know, like you just there's no respect. No, but I feel that like he's telling me, hey, Brandon, what, what's wrong? You know, like he, he comes and he beckons and he draws me and he I feel his pull. I feel the tug of who he is pulling me. And that's the thing that has kept me in a relationship with him. If I didn't have that, I would probably have bounced and bailed on God because you hit sometimes <clears throat> circumstances or things in life that come and the enemy's there to just try to boom, right? Like like he said, um, Jesus said to Peter, I'm praying for you, Peter, because the devil has a desire to shift you like wheat. He wants to come and he wants to knock you off your purpose, off who God has called you to be out of the relationship with God. Right. But he's saying, but I'm praying for you that your faith wouldn't fail, that you would stay in it, that you would respond to God when God comes and beckons to you. Don't let bitterness, don't let anger, don't let, um, you know, disappointment, don't let uh, people, you know, unforgiveness, doubt, unbelief. These things come in to knock us and push us away from that intimacy with God. And when you lose that, I mean, that's that's when you're starting down a path of, of sliding back, of backsliding, of, of, you know, God doesn't want us or, or does he actually wants us to stay in it with him and to stay close. But we choose because we harden our heart or because we're angry or because we don't allow the breaking to come to push away from God. But God's always faithful. God's always there. Right. His love is unconditional. He has a plan. He has things for us to do. But if you don't do them, he's still going to love you. You just aren't going to benefit and accomplish and, and, and experience the great and mighty things he has planned. Right? Behold, I do a new thing. There's great and mighty things. God wants to do things through and in your life. And the thing is, this is a lot of people get so pessimistic, so negative in their outlook that all they can see is the negative And they just they paint this. Actually, I believe it's the devil working in their mind but they'll paint this picture of their future and they'll just they'll just say it's it's never gonna work it's never gonna it's never this it's never that you know and they get real negative and the next thing you know they're responding to an an image that they've created through by demonic influence they've created this image and they're responding to something that's not even real and it's not even god's heart it's not even what god's speaking but because they've disconnected from the word or from the truth it's allowed for them to be deceived. And then they push away, they backslide, they go back to what they know. They they end up in a situation worse than where they started. And this is not like a one-time story. We see it. If you've been a Christian or you've been around the things of God, you can see people who at one time their flame was hot. They were they, every, they were passionate for the things of God. And then life came and disappointment and the enemy comes in. And the next thing you know, years later, they don't even, they're not even connected anymore. Well, why is that? You know, you can't stay in the things of God and in relationship with God if you don't choose to be in that relationship. It's a choice you make. 
God will always be there. God will always stand with you. He's always going to be ready for when you want to come back to him, right? That's the story of um, the son, right? The, the, the wayward son that comes back, who's, who goes and spends all his father's money. And, and, and then the father's waiting for his return because he's so anxious and he's just like, I, I want to see my son. He's worried. He's, he's, where's my son? And then the son hits the bottom and then says, I'm going to return to my father. Why? Because he, he still had an understanding of his father. At least I can. And even his understanding was below the mark of what God saw. Right? So God's, God, that's the picture of God's heart towards us. But if our heart towards God is hard and bitter and and not willing to to let God do things in our life, then he can't because he's not going to force or, or, you know, he doesn't just come in and break the door down. You know, that there's people that are like obnoxiously like that. And you meet them in life where, where they try to break, they try to force something in your life or they try to force you to buy something or, you know, they're just so desperate and they, and they just try and it, it becomes like, Oh, Hey, chill, you know? Like, let this thing flow, let it play out and be smooth. And you don't have to, like, force something down my throat. In fact, I don't want it now, right? I don't want something that man is trying to force because I want God. I want what God has. And when God does things in our life, He's it, there's a smoothness to it, you know? There shouldn't be a... It doesn't mean that there's not, you know... Sometimes you got to fight for what, what you... You got to go after it, right? You got to fight for it. But it's not like... Um, it's a spiritual fight, right? The Bible says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against spiritual hosts of wickedness. So when you see a door that's not open, do you go kick the door open? No, they're going to, you know, like if you go do that in anybody's home, they're going to call the police and you're going to get kicked out. Now you wait for an invitation. You, you can knock and you can seek, but you wait for somebody to invite you into their home. And when you go in, your peace and who you are and, and what you represent is gonna is going to come into that home and you're gonna and people can either receive from you or they can reject you. That's why the Bible talks about uh, when you know the disciples were rejected. He said, "Dust your feet." He says, "If you enter a place, and let your peace be there. But if you don't, they reject you. Then dust your feet and move on. Go to the you know keep moving on. Don't get stuck. And then why didn't you let me in and become like some kind of <laughs> stalker? There's seven billion people in the world. You know." You don't have to like, you know, or, and this is for like people who are seeking a mate. You know, there's people who want to be with somebody and they don't like them. You can't force somebody like you and you can't spiritualize somebody like you. If they don't like you, they don't like you. And you know what you do is you just move, you just move on and you believe there's, you know, the, the old saying, there's plenty of fish in the sea. You can't like become some stalker weirdo person in somebody's life because they rejected you and now you want to like somehow I know God I need you oh you know you get you get all weird about it I mean yeah it hurts and all this stuff but you don't you don't have you don't let it become some weird bizarre thing in your life because this is the thing God is faithful and God he has this awesome way of working things out and and really blessing us and really showing us that he cares about what we desire and what we want he wants to give us the best each one of us that, that have a relationship with him, even those who don't, he still takes care of. He still, he still blesses. He still allows them to experience life and to have things, right? It's not like God's up there going, oh, 
you don't deserve this, you don't deserve that. That's the religious mindset that religion creates in people's minds. But God's a good God. You know, he's faithful. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your presence. I just thank you for loving me and for the relationship that we have. And I thank you, God, for the drawing and the beckoning that, God, you truly desire me. You desire a relationship with me. And I can, I, I, I can respond to that in those dark times, in those hard times, in those times where it's tough. And I feel you beckoning and I feel you saying, son, come be with me. Tell me, tell me how you feel. Tell me what you're going through. And as I open up, God, you flood my soul. You flood my heart. You flood me with your presence. You flood me with your joy, your peace. You flood me with a a trust and a hope to know, God, that it's going to be okay. That it's going to be all right. That, God, you're with me and for me. And you have the best for my life. You have it for my family, for my children. And, God, you're going to impart that that uh, stance and that personality of, of trusting the Lord and, and knowing, God, that you're good and you're faithful. And that will carry me, God. That will carry me uh, through my life, Lord. And I don't have to uh, harden up and, 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 be in, and have a season where I'm just living in the dirt and living like in the pig pen. You don't have to have that season. And I I just speak that over people right now. You don't have to have a season of living in the pig pen. You can trust the Lord. You can cling to him. He's he's there. He's holding on to you. And he wants to be in your life. You don't have to have a season. He'll be there for you you if you do. But you don't have to have this time of disconnecting from God. And if you use wisdom and you you surround yourself with good relationships and healthy environments then those things are there to help you not to end up moving in that direction because life sometimes throws curveballs and it's hard and it's tough or you make a mistake or something happens and you have to pay a price and 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 you feel like oh no it's the it's over it's the end Uh," and then you can become bitter and hard and angry towards God and towards people. The next thing you know, you're completely stuffed, stiff and, and pushed away from God and his purpose and his call on your life. And I'm calling you back. I'm saying, hey, it doesn't have, that doesn't have to be your story. You know, you can, you can get, take a hit, right? Take a, what does it say? Take a lick and keep on ticking. Come on. Life gets tough, but we, we can fight back and we can stand strong and we can see God empower us for the battle in Jesus name. Amen. And we're going to move right into now Acts 23, where Paul in, we already, we, we ended at where, uh, was it verse 11 last week? And now we're in verse 12, 23, 12. And Paul is now being conspired against. It says, now when day came, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. I mean, think about that type of enemy, right? Somebody hating you and and wanting you to die so bad that they stop eating. Like they're fasting for like the devil. They're fasting for wicked means, right? Usually we don't eat or drink because we want God to touch us and to change us and to mold us into and we want to make more room for God, right? The spirit of God in our life. But these guys are like, 
we're not going to eat and drink until Paul's dead. Right? They're just like these bitter, like just haters, man. And they're out there in, in life. And you're going to experience haters. But you know what? You don't, you, you dust your shoulders off, right? Like Taylor Swift. <laughs> dust your shoulder off. You don't look at him. You look at Jesus and you go, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm doing it. And I don't care what conspiracy or what people want to do. I'm looking to God and he's got better for me. And he's got eternity for me. So if they kill me, even if they slay me, I got I got better ahead for me. Uh, they were more than 40 men who formed this plot and they swore this oath. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn oath not to taste anything, neither food nor drink until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the council, Sanhedrin, uh, notify the commander to bring Paul down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. We, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near the, the place. So they're literally plotting and planning to kill Paul. And it's so evil, right? We've seen this in in life. People plot to plan, want to kill the president or they want to kill somebody or they poison or they... Uh, I saw a story of a man who was just a wicked man. And it's so weird how personalities and people just just go nuts in their life. And there's no no checks and balances. This guy was literally killing his wives having insurance policy he would make it try to make it look like an accident got away with it uh, with the first wife then the second wife he had plot you know he was going to get paid a bunch of money pushed her off a cliff and had some detectives that were like you know what something's fishy about this we're not giving up on it some tenacious detective that was probably in, in in a way being influenced by the spirit of god because God is a God of justice and he, you know, people aren't going to get away with anything in life. They're not. God's faithful to, to, uh, you know, to deal with, he, he, co- uh, there's a grace that covers a multitude of sins, but then there's a time where, Hey man, you know what? God's going to deal with the issue and he, and you're not getting away with it. And this guy was plotting as he's already killed the second wife to try to befriend another woman in his life and had like seven or what, I can't remember how many, but different policies already taken out as him as the beneficiary. And so they went and they began to uncover all this stuff and they found out this guy's uh, plotting. Literally, did he plot the second wife? The story about the first wife came out and you could tell it was a bunch of baloney, but he ends up in prison and he's done. And he had a daughter, he had a, a little girl that, that it's just so evil how the enemy gets involved in people's lives. But we know that this is not God. This is the enemy. And as they're plotting, this is what it says. But the son of Paul's sister heard their planned ambush. So here's God working, right? Because here's somebody on Paul's side listening and knew. And he went to the barracks and told Paul, Paul, they're, they're going to kill you. There's a plot. So you can't, when God's, got you he's got you and this is the thing god knew when paul was going to die and there, just like jesus there was a plan and i think in paul's heart there was a desire where he loved god so much there was almost a desire for him to say god i i want my life to matter i want to die i want to die for the cause right there was such a desire for him to um 
Because you read other disciples, I think it was John who lived a long life. He loved God. Who knows what his passion was? But I really believe Paul, and it's not like a sick, like, I want to just die to die, like some suicide thing. It was like, no, take me as high as you want to take me, God, and I'm going to preach your gospel. And whatever the enemy wants to do, I know my death will, will have more of an impact than, than me living forever, right? Because I'm here to be a seed like Jesus. My death is going to mean something. Then Paul, calling in one of the centurions, said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took and led him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, came for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he had something to tell you. Because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand and stepped aside, began to ask him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as if they were going to interrogate him more thoroughly. But do not listen to them for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him and they have bound themselves with an oath to eat and or to not eat or drink anything until they've killed him even now they are ready just waiting for you, for your promise so the commander let the young man leave instructing him do not tell anyone that you have given me this information so you see the plot of man and then you see God's interruption God's plan and when you have enemies and they begin to plot connive and Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. This is the thing. When God's got your back, he's got your back. And I believe that the devil's so involved in this situation because he is so, he, he, now that, I mean, he's already been defeated, right? He's still working on the earth, but now the power has been released and he, his day is done. All we have to do is exercise our authority and go after it, right? In the name of Jesus. And, and God is, is there to empower us and the Bible even says this, if you if you go and study um, some of the epistles where, where Paul's teaching, you know, we're, we are here to expose and destroy the works of the enemy in people's lives. And we have the authority to do it. It's a mandate from heaven for us to do that. And I'm going to do a podcast specifically on that subject um, in the future because, and I actually have a message, I preach on it, but we're, we, we are on assignment to do something for God. It's not like, it's not like, um, I don't, I don't get this idea of like, I don't have to do anything for God, you know? Uh, and, and yeah, you don't have to do anything for God. We like, and he, he's still going to love you. But the bottom line is, is that he's predestined us for good works. He's predestined us to do something for him. So you, if you don't want to do anything, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get the mindset of like people that go out there and they, they they teach other people that there's you don't have to do anything for God. You know, it's like, okay, well, I want to do something for God. <laughs> and it's almost like you, you run into people like, well, your desire to do something for God is, is not holy. You should not want to do anything for God, and then you'll do something. for it. It's just like the bizarre way people get. And I believe it's passed down through teaching and through uh, people that get in this moment of like weird spiritual mindset of thinking, you know, like God doesn't want you to do anything. No, God does want you to do something. He wants you to engage with him, right? And it's not like you don't, you're not earning his love. You're not earning uh, his acceptance. He already accepts you. He already loves you. He, he saved you. I mean, if you came to him the first time you repented and gave your heart to him, 
he could have rejected you then because you weren't doing anything for him. And in fact, for most people, they're in the opposite of doing anything. They were actually doing dirt for the devil. They were doing wrong. But now God's like, I've redeemed you. I've saved you. I've cleaned you up. And there's a lot of, you know, I think when it comes to like baby Christianity or like people, when I say that, I mean immature believers. Like there are baby believers. They they need milk. They need to be trained. They, their mindset needs to change. That's why the Bible says repent. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry if I did that, right? And then not doing that again. No, it's changing the way you think. It's changing the way you see God, life, uh, the sin that you're partaking in, the things you're doing. It's changing how you view that thing or, or, or people in your life. So God comes in and begins to change the way you see life. And, oh, my assignment, my purpose in life isn't what the world's been telling me and what people are trying to shove down my throat. My purpose in life is now what God wants me to do. And it's clear in Jesus's great commission. He says, go, therefore, and do. He's telling you to go and do these things and operate in these things. He's not telling you, go and, you know, be sinful again, go and backslide and go and screw off. No, he's saying, go and, and, and let me flow through your life. In fact, most people who, who allow God to flow through them and don't get bitter and angry, right, because they get hurt, they'll stay faithful to the call of God. It's the ones that sin and fall short. And then the enemy gets in there and deceives them. And the next thing you know, they're not doing anything for God anymore. Right? It's not that God's like, oh, I'm going to sit you down. You, you're, you're grounded and I'm, you're, I'm not going to use you anymore. No, his grace is there. His love and forgiveness is there to pick you back up and dust you off and say, no, you can, I, I still have a cause. I still want to use your, in fact, you're, Sometimes your um, your failure or your the thing you've gone through becomes your testimony. But you can testify how God brought you through, how God healed you, how God delivered you from your mistake, and and you were in this place and you moved on, and, and God's you you begin to testify of God's faithfulness. But it's to set you back on path of what His assignment is for your life. See, the enemy's plan and what God and what the enemy wants you to do is nothing. Nothing that would shift or get in his territory or mess with him. He wants you to stay stagnant. He wants you to look at your life and look at your Christianity as it's all about you. It's all about uh, uh, like some sort of pleasure with God where it's just you're feeling God and you just have this like little bubble that you live in of experiencing God. And, and that this is the, the, the kind of, uh, what do you call it? And that's not to say that God doesn't want you to experience pleasure. He doesn't want to show you. Uh, the Bible says that at his right hand, there's pleasures for other more. God wants you to, to experience his pleasures. But his pleasures, let me tell you, the greatest pleasure in my life that I've experienced is when God uses my life. One of the most, it's not just in a moment of feeling his presence and thank you for my peace and, and my life and, and my, you know, my blessing and the money you've given me and all the nice stuff and the house and, you know, and all my comforts. And thank you for making me so comfortable and just your grace and your peace and forgiving me. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed, you know? No, it's not that. It's God, thank you for using me in, in, in Jim's life. Thank you for using me in, in, in Susie and, in. Jimmy's life and thank you God that I, I found this young man who was 
broken and, and hurting and lost and he had he had no vision, no purpose, no no um, direction. And God, you used me to, to tell him about you and you came and you flooded his life because I opened my mouth and I began to have a relationship with him and I began to speak into his life. Those are the pleasures of God. Seeing somebody come to the Lord is a pleasure. It's something for you to to partake of and and you get to feel God's joy in that moment because when you do it and you are used by God to, to lead others to Jesus and to, to not be selfish. That's why it says what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. So you giving grace and you giving relationship. You know, I heard this other day. I can't remember exactly where it came from, but somebody said like, you can't be somebody's friend if they want something from you. It's like, that it, I, I, the first of all, I don't agree with the statement. Second of all, the whole point of friendship is because you got to exchange. You got you got to have something to give, and you have to have a desire to receive. Same thing with right the greatest relationship you, you know as a man and a woman being married and having that. There's an exchange. There's a there's a release. There's a giving and there's a receiving. In fact, when you have it at its most intimate level a seed is released and a life is created, right? Human beings are created by giving and receiving. There's this beautiful thing of, I don't, it's not about me. Oh, you want something from me? Oh, then I'm not going to be your friend. It's not like somebody coming and putting a gun to you and say, give me what you, that, that's not a friend. A, a, a friendship is just opening up and saying, hey, how can I meet the need in your life? Especially when God brings people into our life. You're meeting a need in somebody's life. You're loving them. You're, you're spending time with them. You're getting to know them. You're, you're encouraging them where they need to be encouraged. And this is pastoral ministry at its finest. If you don't know how to do that with people, you can't say, well, I'm a pastor. Pastors are there to, to relate and connect with people beyond just a, hey, how's it going? You know, like, and a nod and a look in, in somebody's face. You got to connect. You got to spend time. You got to, it's, it's relational because you're not going to know somebody and how to uh, adequately uh, shepherd them and get them connected to God, right? You can say, well, they just need to figure it out. Well, if that's the case, then uh, you don't need to be a pastor, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but if your idea of people needing God is just figure it out, then you probably don't have a pastor's heart, do you? No, you don't. Okay, because that's a selfish heart. That's somebody who's selfish. That's somebody who's like in it, in it for them. But a pastor's heart is somebody who feels and wants to meet the need in people's lives. Because that's what Jesus feels. That's who he is. He's the great shepherd. But he's going to flow through people. And then when they get to a place where they're strong, then they can develop that on their own and have that relationship. And that's what pastors are to do is lead people to this dependence on God and not a dependence on them. But you're never going to get there with people if all they have is just a, a, a nod or a wink or a hello. You got you to gotta get involved. So there's this plot to kill Paul. And it's exposed by his sister's son who got word of it. And now there's the ambush, but now there's the, amb- the ambush is exposed. And the Jews don't know this. So Paul is now going to be moved. Then summoning two of the centurions, he said, 
have 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to go as far as Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. This is God's protection. This is God's providence. People are wanting to kill and they're plotting and they want Paul to suffer. And there's Christians like this. They look at people who've hurt them and they, 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 want, they want to make moves or they want to make calls or they want to make decisions that hurt this person or they, they think they're going to hurt and suffer. But God the whole time is pl- plotting and planning their blessing. He's plotting and planning their protection, especially when you're, you're, you're in it for the right reasons and the right heart. If you're being shady, you know, God might let you fall and, and, and get, you know, end up in a place where, where he's going to, you know. And again, when I say that, I think of Paul being stoned and beaten. And I think that was, uh, again, I, don't, I just don't, when, I, when I'm doing this, I don't have all the, <laughs> I don't know it all, okay. I wish I did. Sometimes I like to think I do, but I don't. The reality of it is, is that I don't understand why God sometimes allows you to go through painful things and the enemy gets, it almost seems like the enemy's winning, but for some reason God's working something beyond our ability to comprehend it. And Paul being beaten and stoned and left for dead and God could have saved him and allowed him not to go through that, but ultimately he allowed it to happen and he went through it. But right here he's protecting him. Because I believe that Paul's heart is, is so connected to getting the gospel out that God's going to take him to a place that he wouldn't be able to get by himself. And sovereignly, God is moving him. Like he said in the last, uh, we were talking about the last scripture in the podcast where he's going to take him to Rome. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized as a prisoner by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. When I came upon him with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen and wanting to know the exact charge which they were making against him, I brought him down to their council. And I discovered that he was accused in regard to questions and issues in their law, but he was under no accusation that would call for the penalty of death or even for imprisonment. When I was told that there... When I was told that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you immediately, also directing his accusers to bring their charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in compliance with with their orders, took Paul and brought him to Antipatris during the night. And the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. When these horsemen reached Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and also presented Paul to him. After reading, Uh, After reading the letter, he asked which province Paul was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, an imperial province, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers have arrived. Giving orders that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's Praetorium, the governor's official residence. That's what the Praetorium was. It was a high office. It was a place of influence. And Paul's now... He's, he's not just dealing with Jews anymore. He's now in the political palace or, or uh, the governor's official residence. He's, he's now in the system of what's ruling and governing. The gospel, the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's desire and drive is not to just keep you in some Christian bubble. To keep you in some Christian uh, world where everything's safe and secure. 
the Holy Spirit, if you are willing, will take you into a dark and twisted system and give you influence and power. It may cost you your life, but he'll, he wants to get the message out so bad. And that's his, that's his drive and desire. And this is New Testament. This is after Pentecost. This is like, hey, we're still in these days. And if you don't believe that, then you can't say you're a Christian, right? You're, you're not living Christianity if you say the book of Acts is over and it, we, we don't get to partake and live like the apostles or we, sh- we, don't have, we shouldn't have the same drive and desire. If that's the case, then your Christianity is, is disconnected from the reality of what's even in the Bible. Five days later, the high priest Ananias came down from Jerusalem to Caesarea with some elders and an attorney named Tertullius acting as spokesman and counsel. They presented to the governor their formal charges against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullius began the complaint against him, saying to the governor, Since through you we have attained great peace, and since by your foresight reforms are being carried out for this nation, in every way and in every place, most excellent Felix. He's got some brown nosing, right? He's kissing some butt here because he wants, he wants the ruling he wants. We acknowledge this with all gratitude. But so that I do not weary you further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. For we have found this man to be a public menace and one who instigates dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. This is some Christians right here. If you go in to a a church and you preach the gospel, (laughs) right, and it, it people get mad and then they're like this man's causing division he's he's saying that we need to you know it's like we need to do something for god it's like oh my gosh like give me a break i mean this is the thing you don't want to be in a church where people are going to throw stones at you you don't you want to be in a church where people have the same heart and the same passions and their and their desires are to you know fulfill the great commission not keep their little comfort zone keep their little uh their little world safe and just kind of practice this this other version of Christianity they've created so that they're safe and comfortable. And there's tons of churches like that. And I know this might make some people mad, but at the end of the day, it's like you you either are, are have a heart that's open to say, okay, is that me? Because there's seven letters in the book of Revelations that speak to many churches and it's Jesus speaking and he's calling them out. And sometimes God has to, you have to be, have an ear and a heart to receive when the spirit of God is coming to shake and to correct you and correct your course and shift what you've been doing to now what he wants you to be doing. If you're not, you're, you're, you're never going to see and experience the deeper and the greater things of God in your life. You're going to just play it safe your whole life. And then you're going to get to the end and by the grace of God, make it into heaven and him go, I had so much more for you to accomplish and do, but you, you, you didn't hear, you were dull, your ears, you, you were offended. And this is the, the picture of, of the Old Testament prophets when they were speaking, they were persecuted because there's people who had their little lifestyle in their comfort zone and they didn't want to hear the prophets speaking. They put Jeremiah in a dung pit. They, 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 you know what I mean? Like Jeremiah was persecuted because of, he was speaking the word of God. And Paul's coming in and now they're saying, oh, Paul's a menace. He's, he's one who instigates dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. 
He's a ringleader of a heretical sect of the, of the Nazarenes, right? He's up here saying, oh, Paul's a cult, right? Paul's the one who's off and wrong. He's, he's trying to twist it. The reality is, is that they're the cult and they're the sect and they're the ones who are trying to protect their little world and protect their little money schemes and all the sin they probably have underneath the scene, behind the scenes. And you see that you've seen this in uh, the last 50 years in, in major, you know, or uh, like the Catholic church. These guys probably threw a bunch of people out who came to them warning them, hey, you guys are not preaching the truth. And then behind the scenes, you have hundreds, okay, of men molesting children and it being covered up by the structure and by the political system. And, it, and then it all gets broken open and there's hundreds of people writing in and testifying how they were sexually abused by this organization. And you wanna tell me uh, that God didn't send them any kind of warning? I guarantee you they, that he did. I guarantee you God was like, you know, but it takes somebody who's radical, just like today with the sex trafficking. There are, there. this is a thing we do. We like to block things out in our mind and just pretend it doesn't exist because we just live in our little world. We get up, we go to our job, we pay our bills, we take care of our business, we do what we wanna do, and it has nothing to do with anyone around us or the, the world that's dying. And Christians that ignore the world and let it perish and go to hell and just as long as they're okay and they're gonna go to heaven and they're they're taken care of, then they're fine. And I'm telling you, with all grace and mercy, that is not Christianity. That is a lie and it's lukewarm and I believe God's gonna judge it in the last days, I really do. So forgive me if that sounds a little rough, but you, you can't tell me you ignore the world and you ignore people that like uh, sex trafficking or all this stuff that's going on and we're not to have a voice and be radical and go into those places and see those children delivered. There are organizations now, Christian organizations that have been raised up to, to go and expose, to help these women, to, to help fight, to help law enforcement expose and destroy and put these men in prison. You know, I, it, it, if... <laughs> Thank God, you know, there's Jesus because I don't, if that was me, I would want to go in there with like a machine gun and be like Liam Neeson in the movie Taken and just start, start shooting dudes in the head, right? Just like, just all like a Kung Fu style, just popping every, just, I don't care if, you, if you're in the building and, and you're a, a man or a woman who's a part of this, you just want to take them out. Like you're done. You're, you're, your life's over for, for putting another human being through this type of torture and pervert and, and exposing them and, and making them just forcing them. It's so heart-wrenching and evil. And we're just supposed to come to our, our little churches and we got our nice everything and we just renewed this and look at the floor, look at the beautiful this and look at the that, right? And we're supposed to ignore what's happening out there in the world and have no passion and no drive and no burning in our heart to see it change and to want to see uh, justice and deliverance and people get saved and to know to know their savior that there's a Jesus out there that loves them come on God we need you God we need your your spirit God we need you to so possess our lives that we're that we're willing to do anything for you for them 
for those that are perishing, God. That it's not your heart that any one of them would perish, but that they would know you, that they would have an opportunity to, to receive you. God, give us a spirit of, of that, that passion that Paul had, the Holy Spirit, that whatever he, he had in his heart that caused him, was driving him to take it all the way. God, give us the same passion. They say he even tried to desecrate the temple, but we took him into custody and, and we intended by, uh, to judge him by our law. But Lysias, the commander, came with great force, took him out of our hands and ordered his accusers to come before you. By interrogating him yourself concerning all these matters, you'll be able to determine the truth about these things, which we, are, we charge him. The Jews also joined in the attack, declaring and insisting that these things were so. When the governor nodded to him to speak, Paul answered. And here's what Paul said. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I make my defense cheerfully and with good courage. Ho, oh, this is the Holy Spirit. And there's a Matthew 10, 20 says, when people put you uh, before men to persecute you and judge me, it will not be you who speaks, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. That's a promise from Jesus that he's speaking and saying, hey, when men are going to put you up, don't worry what to say because God. So this is what Paul is right now. He, this is coming to pass right now for Paul. It's not God. It's not him speaking. It's God speaking through him. As you can easily verify it has been no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Neither in the temple nor in the synagogues nor elsewhere in the city did they find me carrying on a discussion or disputing with anyone, anybody or causing a crowd to gather. Nor can they present evidence to prove to you to prove what they now bring against me. But I confess this to, to you, that according to the way which they call a divisive and heretical sect, I do worship and serve the God of our fathers confidently, believing everything that is in accordance with the law of Moses and that is written in the prophets, having the same hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of the dead, both of the righteous and of the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best and strive always to have a clear conscience before God and before men. And after several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring to my people charitable contributions and offerings. Here, here's Paul, right? Bringing charitable contributions and offerings, right? Paul wasn't out there saying, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. No, Paul was there and he was giving. He was a giver. They found him, or he says, they found me in the temple presenting these offerings. After I had undergone the rites of purification without any crowd of, or uproar, but there were some Jews from the west coast province of Asia Minor who ought to have been here before you to present their charges. If they have anything against me, or else let these men tell what crime they found me guilty of. When I stood before the council, Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, other than for this one statement, which I had shouted out as I stood among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. But Felix, having a rather accurate understanding about the way, put them off, saying, when, Lysi when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he ordered the centurion to keep Paul in custody, but to let him have some freedom. And he told the centurion not to stop any of his friends from providing for his needs. So Paul has favor in this situation. <clears throat> He's getting some uh, 
some benefits here. He's in jail, but he's 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 now he's like a he's living like a mafia. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, from who was a Jewish, who was a Jewess. He sent. I don't need. Sorry, this is this is throwing me off. For, several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him talk about faith in Christ, Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, honorable behavior, personal integrity, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, (laughs) so Paul is now talking to Felix, this leader. He's having a discussion. And he's listening to Paul talk about his faith in Christ. So now here's Paul testifying and preaching the gospel and and preaching what he believes in doctrine. He's talking about righteousness. He's talking about self-control, honorable behavior. And I believe Paul is hitting all the little things in the heart of Felix. And now Felix, because he's not pure, his heart's not right. He doesn't have a relationship with God. He's in a place where he's probably got some stuff he's hiding, right? So Paul's preaching to him. And now all of a sudden, he becomes frightened and said, go away for now. And when I find a convenient time, I will send for you. So I said, oh, get this guy out of here. Because he started feeling the conviction, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. He started feeling this shifting. And as soon as he felt it, it, okay, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) And I've seen this happen with people where you're sharing with them, where you're talking the things of God, or, and all of a sudden you hit a, a, an area and you can see it in their demeanor. You can, uh, they just want to cut you short. They don't want to hear it or they get mad or they whatever and they shut you down because they, they now sta- now they're starting to feel that, that conviction in that place of, oh, I need God. I'm not living right. You're talking about me. This, this is, you're all up in my backyard. You're in my neighborhood right now. You're, you're in my business. You're reading my mail. <laughs> Are you reading my mail? How did you know that? How did you know that about me? Well, because God's real. Because God's alive. And God knows the secret things of our life and our heart. And he wants to speak to those things. And it takes a heart that's, that's hungry and a heart that's, that's willing and a heart that, that's tender to say yes to God. And when you try to push away from him and, and you don't want to deal with your issues, he lets you do that. He lets you sh- shut him out, but he doesn't want you to. He wants you to invite him in. That's why it's it's not a forced thing. Christianity is an invitation. You have to invite God into your life. And there's a beckoning that says, will you? Will you come? Will you come? Have you sinned? Have you fallen short? It doesn't matter. God loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants you to acknowledge it. He wants you to see where you where you mess up. But then he wants you to invite him into those places to heal and to, to forgive you and to, and to give you a way out of those of those things in your life. At the same time, he was also hoping to get money from Paul as a bribe. So here's the Felix. Felix was all in, the, in his in the back of his head, thinking, "I'm going to get money from this guy. I'm going. He's going to bribe me, and I'm going to let him go, right? Because this guy was. They, they, these guys operated like they were the mafia. I mean, these Romans were Italians. Where do you think the mafia came from? Probably passed down generationally from this Roman." idea and how things ran and then it became about perversion and money and sex and 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 power and control 
And this guy's thinking, oh, I'm going to, he's going to pay me off. So he continued to send for him quite often and talked with him. So he would continue to have him come back and have conversations. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded in, a, in office. So this is, this is not just a, 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 you know, we read it in, in like script, uh, verses, right? A few verses. But Paul's here for two years. And he's in prison and he's living this way. And this guy's talking to him and he's wanting to get money from him. But all of a sudden, the, the, the office or the, the guy in charge, Felix, is, is going to be removed. He's going to be voted out. And he's going to be succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Right? Because he's playing the, the political game. Now Festus arrived in the province, and three days later he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And there in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the leading men, um, the leading men of the Jews, brought charges against Paul before Festus, and they repeatedly pleaded with him, asking a concession. So there, this is like two years of them trying to get Paul murdered. I mean, you got to have a bone to pick, right? You got to be so bitter. This becomes your mission in life is to see another man die. Is to, is to, I mean, what a miserable existence. Asking a concession against Paul that he would have him brought to Jerusalem, meanwhile planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus answered that Paul was being held in custody in Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. So he said, let those who are in a position of authority among you go there with me. And if there is anything criminal about the man, let them bring charges against him. Now, after Festus had spent no more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the day, on the next day, he took his seat on the tri- tribunal, the judicial bench, and ordered Paul to be brought before him. So here it is. Here's the moment, right? Paul's about to, about to be judged. Let's see where we're at on time, because I'm now in uh, 24, so probably going to wrap it up here pretty soon. I mean, sorry, we're in uh, Acts 25 now. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they were not able to prove. And while Paul declared in his own defense, I have done no wrong and committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial there in my presence before the Jewish Sanhedrin on these charges? Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. Therefore, if I am guilty and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not try to escape death. But if there is nothing to the accusations which these men are bringing against me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar, Emperor Nero. Then Festus, after conferring with the men who formed the council, see Paul, he knows that he's going to go. He, his point is he's going to have now a seat right with to Caesar. He wants, he actually is appealing to Caesar. I think he wants to stand, go as high as he can go. He's trying to take it as far as he can. And again, the, the, you can't read the Bible and then not think Jesus was political or that the message of the gospel is political. 
I just heard this the other day, and I'm going to end right here. And we'll, this is verse 11. I'll come back next week and we'll, we'll start here. But I want to end right here on this note. I heard this pastor getting up there and he was some church on Facebook. Now you got all these churches, Facebook, everybody has a Facebook and everybody has a you know voice. Many voices out there, Christianity. You can't read this and read the Bible and come away thinking Jesus is just this disconnected or the, the Christianity is a disconnected from the world, from the systems, from the political systems. And people get all like, oh, Jesus wasn't political and Jesus had no, he, it wasn't about politics and he didn't get involved. You know, Jesus wouldn't have voted and all this stuff. It's like, okay, maybe he wouldn't have voted. I don't, I don't really know. I know I'll vote because I'm an American and because I have that right and freedom and I don't want it taken from me. There's freedoms and there's things in my life. So I don't need Christianity to make those decisions as an American, right? I don't need the Bible to give me wisdom on, hey, I, I need to vote. I need to have a voice. But Christianity gives me the passion to now go in and to not only vote, but to actually tell those people and tell my leaders and find leaders who, who have a heart for God, who have a heart for the laws of God. Because if I don't, there's a force out there, the opposite force that's trying to get in, in place so that they can put devil and demonic and actually bring uh, destruction and pain into people's lives. Because the Bible says when the, when the wicked rule, the people mourn. But when the righteous rule, they rejoice. So I don't look at Christianity as a like disconnected thing from society. Wherever I live, whoever the powers are, right? Whoever's in charge, if I have access, if I have an ability whether it's uh, at the local level, um, school level, however, however high God can take you, right? If it starts at just the community, if it starts at just with a mayor, if it just starts and you can have an influence in that community and you can be a voice and you can preach the gospel, then do it. And I think we should be in our schools. I think we should be in our, um, in our government's ear with the gospel and with the truth of what we believe. Our ancestors were, they weren't sitting back. Okay, America's declined in some ways, but it's also changed for the good in other ways. Because there was a religious thing there that was putting people into bondage. It was, it was horrible. You know, we've come, we've come so far in, in some ways that, where it's beautiful and it's amazing. And then there's places where we are falling and it's, it's horrendous. We're failing. And I don't believe it's because that's God's will. I believe it's because there's people out there who are sleeping. They're laying down on the job and God wants them to stand up and have a voice and be, you know, and again, you don't have to have Christianity to be a good citizen, to have character and have an integrity. There are people out there that believe in that and they don't have God in their life. They're, 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 they're like God in ways and they believe principles like God, but they don't worship and, and love him and, and want people to know him because they're lost. But if we're Christians and we know him, we should have those characteristics and some. We should have the integrity. We should have the, 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 um, the picture of a model citizen, right? Not like to where you're like trying to be the politician so everybody likes you, but to where you have character and integrity. And that should speak to the people. And then that gives you an access and a door to say, hey, God 
is the source of my integrity. God is the source of my good nature and who I am and my desire to love people and to see people and to provide and to love them and to be a blessing, right? God is the reason why I'm this way. I wasn't this way. In fact, Paul could have testified. I was murdering people. I hated people. I had bitterness in my life. But God came in and he changed me and he delivered me and he gave me a love to want to see these broken people come to him and to know him just like I did, just like I was broken. And this is how we, what we need to do. We don't need, you know, I'm thankful that Roe versus Wade got overturned, but overturning Roe versus Wade made a bunch of people mad, but at the same time, it might keep babies from dying, which I'm grateful for, but the solution to the problem is now for the people who want the abortion is going to be wickedness. They're going to find another way. And there are people out there that are going to provide it because they're wicked. The solution is the gospel. The solution is going into a system and teaching people sexual morality, not sexual immorality. Teaching them, hey, you need to not sleep around. You need to protect yourself. You need to understand that having sex is something you should um cherish and look at as a serious, powerful thing. Just like somebody would pick up a gun and handle it carefully, you need to look at who you sleep with and how you live your life sexually. And there's some, there's cultures out there who have such a loose view of this and it's disgusting. It, it it's actually produces so much turmoil in, in children who are abused, children who are, who are basically, some of them left basically for dead that a story of a of a two-year-old or was it two or three-year-old who was found dead in a closet because and they were they weren't being nourished and taken care of there's another story I, i saw a special this was years ago but this little girl who was who was oh my gosh it's so wicked and it makes you want to like weep and cry and and you want to be a voice of change you want to do something to change And and that's what God wants to put in us is this desire and this passion to not just be okay with our little life and being comfortable. Take care of my needs, my son. No, you want to get out there and you want to help and you want to see people who have who don't have what we have and or have what you have and and you want to see them come. There's no greater love than to see a family take in a, a, a broken or or a, an orphan and raise them. And give them a life they would have never had. In their programs, there's ministries that have that connect parents and people who want children, and to see a, a, a baby who's brought into the world out of brokenness, and then have parents and have especially godly ones that help them and love on them. You know, I think unless you have children, I mean, it's a very selfish thing. I think to not have kids. I think it's a selfish motivation. Um, it might, there might be complications why people can't have kids, but if you can have kids and, and you choose not to, it's because, yeah, it, it costs you. It's a, it's a cost to have children. Children are the most needy things in the world. And we need to supply those needs. We need to not only give them what they need, but also teach them and impart to them integrity. And we need to teach them principles. They need fathers. They need mothers. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just impart this desire and this mission. Give people purpose. 
in their surroundings. Not only that, but give them a fire to go do something about it, to get involved, to find a program, to find people that have the same passion. And God, I pray you connect us with the same people who are passionate to make a change in the world. Connect us with people that have a passion to see uh, um, society and and government and, and situations shift and change for your glory. Revival comes to change and to heal, perfect, and pour out God's spirit and his love on, on, on people, broken people. Heal our land. Heal the perversion. Heal and, and, and cut out the leaven, that wickedness. Help us, God. Give us, anoint us. Give us spiritual weapons. And yes, we pray and we, we, we seek out prayer, but God, give us action and unction to do something with our hands and our feet for your glory, not just to make a wage. And yeah, we could take our wage and, and, and put it into people who are doing something, which is great. Help us to provide for those who are doing, but God, give us an assignment. Don't let us just make an excuse because we have money. I don't want to do that. So I'll pay off the people here. Now I'm doing something. Here's my money. No, help us have a voice and get involved. Help us have skin in the game in Jesus name. Amen.